What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, another amazing week of college football, 11 weeks in the books, which unfortunately means we have two weeks of the greatest regular season of any sport left. But the next two weeks are loaded. This past weekend was loaded. So, Daniel, let's just dive right in because we have several big games to talk about. Let's start with one of four undefeated teams in the FBS left lost on Saturday. Oklahoma goes down to Baylor uh, in Waco in the big noon kickoff. And, Daniel, I'll, I'll let you lead here, but I, I was really impressed with Baylor. Yeah, really impressed with Baylor and not uh, – if you told me that this happened a couple weeks ago, like kind of forecasting, not surprising by how Oklahoma has been playing to their opponent – but you and I both kind of had a call to action before this and said, nope, this is the game right here. This is going to be a game that Oklahoma steps up and wins by a substantial margin. And for us, that was only 10 to 14 points. And we were saying, hey, that's going to feel like a big win to them. I was saying they're going to get ground game going with Kennedy Brooks. And uh, they, they, they were shut down by Baylor. Baylor, um, I mean, they just went blow for blow with them and just – controlled them that's really the biggest takeaway I have I mean um, Kennedy Brooks four yards a carry Caleb Williams one 1.7 yards a carry Eric Gray four yards a carry so they just they weren't um, explosive in the running game and for this Oklahoma offense that's really the key to getting them going Um, Caleb Williams obviously eventually having to be replaced by uh, uh, Spencer Rattler Um, and it's still just just nothing really working against the Baylor defense. Um, and then Aranda just kind of looking like a seasoned pro in this game, just showing up and taking taking care of business. I wore my Baylor shirt today. If you're watching on YouTube, you know, Daniel, I got this in 2019 when I rode Baylor to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, I mean, now you got your pit shirt. You know, that was that was the start of the pit pod. No, no, no. Yeah. You, I was SMU. Yeah, I had SMU. You had the yeah, SMU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, dude, I, I was really impressed with Baylor. Early on, I thought that Oklahoma kind of dominated up front, and I'm like, all right, if Oklahoma's defense is going to dominate Baylor like this, like we talked about, the, the dam's going to break. And, right. like, which offense do I trust to be more explosive? It's Oklahoma. What, and what I expected from Oklahoma was, okay, out of the bye week, you're going to learn a lot about a team, especially these elite teams. Like, how do you come out out of the bye week? Oklahoma came out sluggish, and, and maybe we should have paid attention to how they've been playing and put a lot more stock into that and not into what we think they're capable of. And yeah. that's my mistake because it is week 11. It's not week four. I think a lot more stock can be into you haven't hit your ceiling yet in week four. And our defense, that again – it was coming off the bye, and I thought, hey, if any offense is going to come out looking explosive out of the bye, it's it's going to be Lincoln Riley's uh, Sooners. But on the flip side, really impressive Baylor. Like you said, they controlled the game, and it was Oklahoma's defense that broke the damn late. Like, it, it was Baylor's offense that looked good late, but they were efficient the whole game. I mean, six six 6.1 yards per play, uh, 9.8 yards per completion, um, 6.3 yards per rush. Super efficient. Um, that you know, fourth quarter again, com- this complete game from Baylor. And Daniel, I have two questions for you. One, 
Should Dave Aranda be near the top of LSU's coaching search board? A. B. Is the Big 12 out of the playoff? Because at this point, Oklahoma was at eight and they were undefeated. So, like, with one loss and they were the highest ranked Big 12 team, are they done at this point? Because it's Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State was outside the top 10. Oklahoma was at eight. So, those are long questions, but Dave Aranda. Big 12 playoff. Well, if you'll remember when we first talked about the Orgeron news, uh, Dave Aranda was one of the five or six names that I brought to the table. Um, so I, I, I think that he absolutely should be near the top, if not already up there. Um, you see what he's been able to do. Baylor is not a small job by any, like, I, I think that some people are, you know, you can call it a, we want to call it a mid-major or whatever. They're in a, a, a major conference, and it was, you know, kind of taking over for a team that lost a bunch of players and just kind of building that back. And, you know, I know that, that Matt Rule had kind of had kind of brought them back from the dark ages of, you know, Art Bryles and all that stuff, what he left behind, and he had to do this whole rebuild. But, I mean, it, it's not easy to replicate. So the fact that he was able to do it so quick, I do think that, that that shows that he can take what is already there and make it into its best version. His players play hard for him, um, and they play to a standard. And I think that's very important for um, for the next coach at LSU because they, the past couple of years, have just been very, you know, after that 2019 year when they just caught lightning in a bottle – you can really look back and say that's exactly what they did because ever since then, they're not they're not even like regular LSU. That's like you can count on nine three ten and two. Yeah, book it. You know they might struggle a little bit explosiveness offense, but great special teams, great defense, and you know they're gonna be a tough out for everybody. You don't come in there and beat them, and that's not the case right now. So, um, to long answer to your your question for that one. I think that he's the type of coach that they need so that they get more of an even keel rather than that up and down, kind of restore that, you know, restore that nine and three, 10 and two as a baseline. And then, you know, cycle up every now and again and have a, have a really good 11, 12 one year. Uh, as far as your other question is if the big 12 is out, um, I think that there is I, – I would say yes, as, as just if we're being easy about it. But, Jacob, I just have to say with, with how the season has gone, I mean, you know, Oklahoma compared to a bunch of other teams. That, that Now, that, that's an issue. And then Oklahoma State being the other one lost that has an opportunity. Um, I'll say this. They don't ever win in Bedlam. And that's that's one of those things that like, was it, but but Elliot says it can go two ways: Oklahoma by a little, Oklahoma by a lot. Yeah, so <laughs> that's just the team that I always say it this way: that's just the team Oklahoma beats at the end of November. So that's, that's right. That's what I say. So Stillwater and Norman doesn't matter <laughs> if they if they play this game and Oklahoma State beats them, but beats them bad. I'm saying 14 plus points or more. I think there's an outside shot that Oklahoma State can do it, but I think if I'm not mistaken, that's going to trigger a rematch in the championship game. It would. In which case they'd have to beat them again. And 
I would suggest, I think that that has to be another convincing win, not just this squeak by win personally, because Oklahoma State is in need of style points here at the end because they've been out of sight, out of mind for a little bit. And they're the team that can do that. Oklahoma, I think they're, they're if, if they win out, that's what they were expected to do. Um, and they weren't expected to lose this game. I do think this one game would hold Oklahoma out. I don't think Oklahoma makes the playoff. So I'll push back a little bit with the Oklahoma State. Even if they beat Oklahoma at this point, that's not even going to be a top 10 win in the committee's mind because Oklahoma was already at eight. They will most likely drop out of the top 10 this week. And so even if you beat them twice, like, is that going to be enough? And, and then I'm like, all right, think about this. 12 and one Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, Big 12 champs. 11 and two Alabama, SEC runner up. Who's the committee going to put in? Like, if that's what it came down to, I'm not even talking about Cincinnati at this point. Let's say Cincinnati gets in because of this. Like that, that, that's who this opened the door for, really, is Cincinnati. Like, yeah. 11 and two Bama or 12 and one Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. My argument is I have a problem declaring a conference out with this season not being chalk. That's true. Because I believe, personally, we'll get to Georgia later, I believe Georgia is going to eventually be in because it looks like they're going to win their last two games. And then whatever happens to the SEC championship, they should make it. But I argue at this point they're probably going to win that game and be undefeated and be in. Um, If Alabama is 11-2 and like you're suggesting, like they kind of play this out, they win the rest of the games – lose to Georgia, I think Alabama's probably in. But, I mean, we do the whole what-if thing. What if Cincinnati does end up slipping one of their games? That's true. That's true. What What if – I mean, the ACC is not going to make a team in. What if we've seen this happen before, Oregon lose another game, probably to Utah in the Probably this week. Game. Probably this week. If they're yeah. playing Utah this week. Oh, okay, okay. Well, so – but even if they beat them, they still have to they play, play them, them again. Because Utah – I think has wrapped it up in the South. Um, all but wrapped it up. They're, they're all but close. wrapped up. So they're going to play them again. I mean, beat Utah twice. I don't think. I don't think this Oregon team's capable of it the way Utah's been playing. Agreed. So, That's more of a Utah thing. I, I think they go one and one. But regardless, that knocks Oregon out. They're out. Yeah. So. At this point, that's you're true. talking about putting in another team. So I, now that's not to throw out another Big Ten team because there are some strong Big Ten teams down the stretch. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I I do. I say wish because of chaos. I wish it. But if Michigan State had not lost to Purdue, they could have been in that position of lose to Ohio State and that be your only loss. And like, or Michigan had not lost to Michigan State. Yep, either one of those. So that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. That's a good transition point. Let's go to Happy Valley, where Michigan, you know, we talked about that line being anywhere from like Michigan minus two, Penn State minus two, and everything in between that. We, we locked in that as a pick 'em. So pick the team to win. You and I didn't ever think this. We just said, hey, Michigan's the better team, they've been the better team. They have, I like your point a lot. Like they have the identity, right? Like they can win this game. And Daniel, that's exactly how it played out was Michigan played their brand of football. Like they played stout defense, the offense, 
did just enough against a really good Penn State defense. I, I can't understate that, that. This Penn State defense is really good, and they establish a run game. They use that to build the pass game. McNamara had a really good game. Right. Um, he, you know, 66% completion percentage with three touchdowns, including that that long one on a crossing route. It was funny. Michigan got beat up on crossing routes in the loss to Michigan State. They then used crossing routes to kind of beat up on Penn State late in this game. Um, really impressive win for Michigan. And my confidence, again, continues to go up in Michigan where here I am, Daniel. It's November 14th as we're recording this. And I just keep buying some stuff. I know how Ohio State played today or yesterday, but – I'm buying some stock in that this might be Jim Harbaugh's best chance to beat Ohio State. I agree. Um, the, the the word that comes to mind with this game was just methodical. I think that that's how uh, Michigan attacked it. Uh, I mean, Hassan Haskins having 150 yards, but 31 carries. Like, they knew what they wanted to do. They knew that if they kept giving him the ball, he's trusted. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of them. And then it just set up McNamara to have, I don't want to call it an easy day, but um, he had a very comfortable day with how he, how he proceeded the three touchdowns, but, but really just, you know, a good, I mean, his QBR was over 80. Um, Those kinds of days, I think this Michigan team is going to win because they're getting plus level play out of quarterback. They don't have to have elite play. I mean, if they had elite play, you're probably talking about them in the college football playoff, you know, realm. And that's still not off the table. Obviously, they have a path to do so. That's going to be very, very fun in two weeks to talk about. Or next week, I guess, is when we're going to talk about it. But, you know, when they when they play Ohio State, um, this is going to be their best opportunity against them. But, um, you know, I, I think that just limiting explosiveness and really holding Penn State in check um, – you know, the game, I mean, being a, a four-point game, that's right where, where we kind of felt. Um, they're better than Penn State. They're not a lot better than Penn State. They're similar talent profiles. And Penn State, you know, aside from them having a stinker game or a clunker, as, as uh, some people call it, where they throw a bunch of picks and do all that kind of stuff, That outside of that, they were going to play them close this whole time. That's what the expectation was. But so long as Michigan did what they needed to do, they scored, you know, at the beginning of the game, or I guess in the second quarter, third quarter, and fourth quarter. So they just, you know, a touchdown in each of those and and did what they needed to do on defense and special teams. So uh, credit to Michigan. This is a good win. This Penn State team, six and four, but, um, you know, they've had a tough, tough schedule and, you know, tough luck in some of these games. Um they're not an elite team, but, you know, they beat a good football team Saturday. They beat a really good football team. I think Penn State's underrated. Again, I think I will give the committee credit. The committee does a better job than the AP as far as not all wins and losses are equal. The committee does a much better job than the AP with that. And that's why AP voters are the ones carrying the flag for Cincinnati right now, right? Like, in UTSA, cool. Uh I would take a six and three Penn State team over Cincinnati tomorrow. Whatever the point spread is, I take Penn State to beat them. Anyway, they, they beat a really good Penn State team. And well, let Sean me ask Clifford, you this, would you take Notre Dame over Penn State or Penn State over Notre Dame? I'd, t- I'd take Penn State over Notre Dame. Okay. 
it's just because that is a yeah, game that's no, actually been and that's relevant, I guess. But I, I, I'm, I'd right there with you. I'm not sure. I'd have to look at it. But anyways, keep going. <laughs> You're good. That's a, a great question. That I think that'd be a good game. Uh, yeah. Yes, and Notre Dame. We'll have to get to Notre Dame. Uh, great Penn State team. Sean Clifford played really well, actually, and he was asked to do a lot because Michigan shut down their run game. And so, I mean, he threw the ball 43 times, which is not really what Penn State wants to do with his offense. Um, I mean, but 23 completions for 205. Again, Michigan beat Penn State by 1,000 cuts and said, we can take that same approach and survive. Like, you can try to do the same thing, and we're just not going to let you. And a fun game. This is a fun football game between two really good teams. Um, again, impressed with Michigan. I have them, Daniel, ranked in my own ranking of teams, sixth. Okay. So That sounds right. I think I had them fifth, but and I'll have to behind, look Behind Michigan State, <laughs> since that game was played very recently. That still blows my mind. Um, I had Daniel, the head of Michigan State just to make people like you mad. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, there, there's some conspiracy theorists out there, and I actually kind of believe this one. Uh, the committee, there would have been no shakeup in the top ten had they not put Michigan ahead of Michigan State. And so because they know this is going to take care of itself, like it was like, all right, if we want to get people talking, we'll just flip them. <laughs> Like, all right, six, seven doesn't really matter. It's not the top four. They're like, they're good. They played each other, but they both sought to play Ohio State. So, like, it's not going to matter in the end. We'll just do it. I think it's pretty funny. Um, Daniel, let's go to Oxford. College game day was in Oxford. Heck, Lane Kiffin was the, uh, was the guest picker. Hey, Lane called a shot. Lane picked two big upsets. One of them happened, Baylor over Oklahoma. The other one did not happen even close. We're going to talk about it. Um, man, Ole Miss beats A&M by 10. And I, I thought Bud Elliott said this best, that we all kind of got fooled by A&M's offense. Well, not you and I. We picked Ole Miss to win outright. But right, right, right. Uh, A&M had fooled some people in that, hey, they beat Alabama and they beat up on some bad teams. Then they go up against Auburn and they don't score. And it was like, huh. They go up against Ole Miss last night, whose defense is not good. That being yeah. said, their defense played really, really well. And where the offense struggled, Ole Miss had some starting receivers that did not play. Ole Miss's defense stood up and, I mean, they were up to the test. Up 15-0 at halftime. They win 29-19. to Daniel... Again, a team I have Ole Miss ranked seventh in my rankings ahead yeah. of Cincinnati <laughs> for the record. <laughs> um, Cincinnati's at eight, but really impressive win from Ole Miss. Yeah, Ole Miss, and we don't give them enough credit for what they've done. They're not the type of team, Jacob, that can withstand a lot of injuries for depth purposes. They haven't built that yet. If you look at their their blue chip ratio, you look at their team talent composite, they've got some talent, but they're they're hovering around that 50 percent, a little bit less than 50 percent as far as those blue chip players. And that's normal for an Ole Miss profile team. 
Um, Kiffin's just coaching them up, and they have some really talented players in the right spots. Uh, obviously, they have a former five-star quarterback in Matt Corral. So that obviously helps aid a lot in uh, covering some things up. But, I mean, my goodness, Jacob, this – yeah, as far as talent profile, A&M, it's swung way into their favor. But Ole Miss, you and I have both been on the – on that they, they are the better team, and especially playing at home, we both picked them to win outright – um, but they, they've played some games without some key guys. Um, and Matt Corral has played banged up. And honestly, it's, if it wasn't for that, if they had more depth, which that's something that they'll have to address going forward. Um, and if they're able to, to build that part as a program, they could be a team that can withstand those and keep winning. But this, this year's team is special at eight and two. I project them to go 10 and two this year, uh, finish out those last two games. That's a big time um, egg bowl, Daniel. Oh, it's a big time egg bowl, but um, I, I, I have a good you, you just, you just kind of slid in that little, I, I mean, that's a big, that, that's going to be a good game. It's going to be a very good game. It's going to be underrated until we get there that night and everybody's just full of all the food they've eaten. And they're like, yeah, I'm not going black Friday shopping because we can order everything online now. I don't know why we're doing Amen. this in the first place. So uh, I'll just sit here and order my Amazon order while I'm watching the Egg Bowl as it should be every Thanksgiving around the friends and family that you love. But yeah, this game, getting back to this game, they start, they, I don't want to say they started fast because it wasn't like they uh, scored a bunch of touchdowns. They ended up having to settle for a field goal and the two field goals and a safety, but a touchdown obviously in the first half, but they sh- their defense shut out Texas A&M in the first half. And part of me is wondering if Zach Calzada is fully healthy because I've had a question about that for a few weeks now. I also think that he may have caught a little lightning in a bottle against Alabama himself and has played over his head a little bit. And, like, if you look at his player rating coming out of, out of high school, he's a three-star. I'm not saying that all three stars are the same. I think that some are rated appropriately. And I think that he's a middling starter to a very solid backup quarterback. I don't necessarily think that he fits the profile of a starting quarterback in, you know, necessarily in the SEC or, you know, in a Jimbo offense. I think that Jimbo is going to try to recruit over him, um, you know, potentially out of the transfer portal with some guys. But that being said, this wasn't his best game. He had two interceptions. Um, and didn't play well, and they're just not moving the ball down the field. Their explosiveness rating, uh, Bud Elliott's been very vocal about this. He's shared this several times, but under Jimbo Fisher, they always – Texas A&M hovers right around that 100th in the, in the nation uh, ranking as far as their explosiveness rating, and that's just kind of who they are. Um, unless something big changes – I just don't expect that to, to really go anywhere. And they have a lot of speed. And for what it's worth, the only touchdown that they scored – well, no, they, they, they scored in the, in the third quarter. I was going to say the only touchdown they scored was in the, in the fourth quarter, and it was in garbage time. But they did score – they scored two touchdowns. So, um, but, yeah, that being said, Ole Miss, somewhat of a controlling win um, where they got ahead and they didn't really have to worry about – the lead being taken over. Um, and anytime they got close, that, that, that last little stretch where the field goal draws it to within 15 to 13, and then it's 
Snoop Connor uh, rushes for a touchdown, and then that pick six by A.J. Finley, that was just nailing the coffin. So uh, love to see it for Ole Miss, who I think really weathered those injuries and might be coming out shiny on the other side of it. This game could have been worse, in my opinion. Like, Ole Miss could have won by more. Yeah. I mean, the first half, here's Texas A&M's drives. Uh, Five plays, 20 yards punt. Six plays, 16 yards punt. Five plays, 24 yards punt. Five plays, 11 yards punt. Three and out punt. Safety. Uh, Two plays, 13 yards into half. That that was A&M's offense the first half. Ole Miss, field goal, touchdown, three and out. Fumble on the A&M 30. So you talk about, like, we're driving. Um, turnover on downs on the A&M 2. They go for it instead of getting points. Um, and then punt in the half. So, like, they kind of shot themselves in the foot in the first half and could have extended this. I mean, imagine this game being 22 nothing going into halftime. Like, I would have gone for that on fourth down, too, for that two. Uh, oh, 100%. Two. Yeah. I, it's just it's frustrating because I think that they felt the same way that you're describing it. They felt like we should be scoring touchdowns and we've had to settle for either a yep. field goal or the fumble. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Big win for Ole Miss. They will move up in the rankings. And, hey, we, something we talked about off air, the Egg Bowl, given that Ole Miss will beat Vandy this next week, which, I mean – should happen. <laughs> uh, the Egg Bowl will be for second place in the SEC West. How fun is that? We've played this game all season of, uh, you know, the game to decide second place in the SEC West. There's been like six of them. Yeah. Uh, it is fitting that the last one will be the Egg Bowl for second in the West. Uh, a lot of fun, Daniel. But you said Let's- it. This, this one's weird where there's a scenario where if Mississippi State loses – not they only would they sixth. not be second, they would be sixth because of how these tiebreakers are. That's the assuming in the West is just phenomenal. And of course, all that assuming Bama wins out. So, of course, of course. we'll see. <laughs> uh, Daniel, let's stay in the SEC. Number one team in the country, Georgia, on the road at Tennessee. This is a game a lot of people circled and said, okay, finally Georgia's going to face a good offense, which not really valid, uh, to be honest. Um <laughs> If you take the Georgia game out of a lot of these, a lot of these teams' offenses, everybody's looking a lot better. Um, man, Georgia, kind of they answered some questions for me in that what what's going to happen when Georgia faces a high pace offense? What's going to happen when Georgia's defense gets punched in the mouth? Can they adjust the speed? What happens if Georgia's defense goes down with some injuries, right? And uh, against a good offense. Can Georgia's offense respond if they need to go score for score with somebody? We answered three of those four. <laughs> we we saw how Georgia's defense responds. They got punched in the mouth. You and I talked about it. Not once, but twice. Where like Tennessee got up seven nothing. Georgia answered with their own score. Tennessee gets up again ten seven. They get a field goal. So Tennessee answered. Mm. Like which is we talked about. It. They got to answer. We also talked about they're going to have to go for it on fourth down because field goals aren't going to be good enough. Um, to, they go up 10-7. Georgia responds, even though the offense didn't. The offense wasn't perfect that first quarter. But from the second quarter on, I mean, this game was over. Yeah. And the Georgia defense had some starters go down. They had players out with the flu. Uh, they faced this fast-paced offense that likes to go, go, go. I mean, Tennessee's 
the fastest offense in the country. So they're not going to see a faster offense this season. Um, the, the, they've got a really good quarterback in Hendon Hooker. Uh, I, I thought he had a decent day. Again, he's just he's facing this Georgia defense that through 10 games, we've talked about it, they've been historic through 10 games. And Georgia checked a lot of boxes for me, and I think Stetson Bennett is good enough to take this team where they want to go, to be honest with you. Yeah, so uh, you mentioned that about Tennessee, how we, we talked about how Tennessee is going to have to go for it on fourth down to give themselves a shot. That field goal was only a 24-yard field goal. Yep. And they, so being as close as they were. I was shocked. That, that's one where they they had already gone down the field on Georgia, and it was like, just go do it again. Draw up another touchdown play. You're within striking distance. Georgia's on their heels. You go for the jugular there so that you're up another touchdown. You put the pressure really big on Georgia. They still went up on them by kicking the field goal. Um, I think most traditional coaches are going to do that. Um, and, yeah, like you said, that was the first – well, that was the first time we've seen Georgia lo- be trailing twice in a game. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that that was important to see from Georgia because a lot of people, like you said, have had those questions on um, how are they going to play when they aren't super comfortable with what's going on. Um, and, I mean, they had, you know, apparently people with the flu or stomach bug or something that were in and out. It was limiting a lot of their numbers. A lot of their defensive linemen weren't available for the game. Uh, Jalen Carter only played a few snaps. Um, this is a game, Jacob, we talk about the impact of someone like Jordan Davis. This is a game where his impact is going to be the least amount because of how quick the offense is going. Um, you can't keep subbing in players every other down where normally you're going to put Jordan Davis in for, you know, the rundowns first and second down or something like that. And then you're going to try to sub him out for third down you can't get guys on and off the field fast enough with how quickly Tennessee is lining up. So um, this was a game that if you can neutralize Jordan Davis, this was the as close to neutralizing him as, as you could. Um, It it left other players being able to step up for Georgia. Uh, You got to see some of the secondary kind of show up a little bit um, with, you know, Darion Kendrick with a, a very impressive interception um, you know, this linebacker play for Georgia is one of the reasons that you can just trust them in the middle of the field to make a lot of tackles. Um, they just they, they sideline the sideline and they, they just make plays. But Tennessee was able to, to get up the field a couple times on Georgia. And then it just kind of turned into, OK, Georgia's going to control this from this point on. And after looking back at it, it's like, well, that just played out how most of Georgia's games have played out. They kind of play with you at the beginning and then by the end of the game you've got a team pressing to score a garbage time touchdown to say that they scored the most touch the most points on Georgia all year um and to Tennessee's credit they were able to get it done and Tennessee has scored the most points on Georgia in a single game so far this year um James Cook I swear if we didn't talk about him you know, that would be a crime for how great of a game he had. Was it three touchdowns, I believe, two rushing and one receiving? Uh, just had a great uh, a great day. Uh, he's leading rusher over 100 yards and then receiving-wise 43 yards uh, touchdown and a touchdown. So three total touchdowns. 
Um, and that reception touchdown was really nice. He kind of like beat the uh, beat them down the sideline for a touchdown. Um, but you know, strong performance from him. Uh, it's nice to see Georgia able to kind of mix and match with their their running game. You know, some days it's Zamir White having the big day. Some days it's it's James Cook. Sometimes it's it's Stetson Bennett having to run the ball. So. Um, I agree with you. I think the quarterback controversy um, is not necessarily a controversy at this point. It's just who's healthy. And uh, well, at this point, I don't think like, I think JT's probably healthy. I think Stetson is just going to get the ball. They're going to go. If something happened to Stetson, I think at that point, JT would go in. And I think Georgia is comfortable with either one to try to win games with. So, um, you know, we'll see how things go. They've got, Charleston Southern, I believe, and Georgia Tech left. So this was the last game I would say that Georgia had a greater than 7% chance, 5% chance of losing. So um, the last true test for Georgia before the SEC championship. And he, you know, Bill Conley does post-game win expectancies. Georgia is in 10 wins. Nine of them have been 100% post-game win expectancy as if like, if you play this game a thousand times, how many times did Georgia win hundred percent of the time? So really impressive. And, and you mentioned it on the, on the top of the episode, like Georgia's got two games left, Charleston Southern and Georgia tech. So you're most likely looking at a 12 and 0 Georgia at the end of the regular season. And at that point, the sec championship game might not matter. Now it's going to matter to Georgia fans, but it might not matter as far as getting into the college football playoff. For clarification purposes, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that this is how I understand it too, the uh, the post-game win expectancy, that's based off of the numbers, like the box score and stuff, running that into a, a simulator and saying, if these numbers are replicated, uh, you know, 100 times, this is how many times. Yeah, so points don't always tell the whole story, right? We know that. Like, uh, you, you talked about it. Tennessee scored seven points. Uh, against Georgia's second-team defense in the fourth quarter when Georgia was up 41-10. to 10. Like, that's garbage time. And so 41-17, to 17, that's taking into account that, like, hey, uh, like you mentioned, some, some of the advanced metrics, like EPA, which we've talked about, actually, we haven't dropped that episode yet. That's going to come soon. Oh, yeah. Our stats episode. Um, that's a very good one, too. Really good episode. Uh, with, you know, yards for play, stuff like that. Like, yeah, if, if you put all those advanced metrics – into a box score again, how many times does Georgia win? And it's 100% of the time. Like, so it's not, it's how fluky was your win, right? For example, honestly, Ole Miss, their post game win expectancy was 65% against AM. Like, Ole Miss made some mistakes in that game, and AM wins that game. If, if that game's played the exact same way, AM has more points 35% of the time. Um, if this game was played out the exact same way again, Georgia wins 100% of the time. That's kind of what that post-game one expectancy is. Daniel, <laughs> only other game I wanted to mention because we'll see if we get some news this week, but Florida, well, you know, I, I think you can argue two ways here. It's like, okay, was Grantham the problem? <laughs> A, B, yeah, if someone has never called plays before calling plays and has the team quit, but Daniel, they didn't play. They didn't play Tennessee. They didn't play 
I was going to say they didn't play South Carolina, which <laughs> beat Florida, but they're like, they played Samford. 42 points is the most points ever given up by Florida in a half. I just think someone said this, this is the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen. I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the beginning happened long ago. Uh, uh, is Dan Mullen going to be fired before the end of the season? Oh, my gosh, Jacob. After the South Carolina game, I was like, okay, surely they're going to win these last few games. And this game was not one that I was expecting to be looking at the score in the second half, um, much less looking at halftime and realizing that Samford was leading. Um, yeah, when I when I first looked at this score, it was 42 to to 28 so I had to kind of catch up myself but that this I mean this game was bananas in and of itself Florida obviously storms back does what they were supposed to do by scoring at will towards the end and they end up obviously winning 70 to 52 which if I didn't know college basketball season had started for Florida yet but apparently it has um that is amazing that this the over hits for each team individually i think <laughs> oh yeah it's, so it's uh it's it's wild but yeah I, I as far as dan mullen's concerned the insulation that you have is you firing your assistants and he fired the offensive line coach who has been with him since mississippi state and was his like you know, second in command, basically. So I think that that kind of signaled, hey, I'm really making changes here. Um, everybody expected the Grantham thing to at least happen by the end of the season based on how things had been going. They expected it last year, honestly, a lot of people. But coming into this year, Dan Mullen was still getting a lot of praise for how the game, how they played last year. Uh, they want to see if it could be replicated. He got a lot of praise after that Alabama loss because played them close. And then you just kind of started to see this things coming apart at the seams. It's not super obvious um, unless you're following closely. Um, just the, the culture has been the issue, I think. And the culture takes on the identity of the head coach. And Mullen just has not been up for the task, it seems like, uh, to this point. Now, do I think he's going to be fired? I think that if he wins the last two games handily, I think that he's per, he's fine. He's bought himself the year, and then he's on the extreme hot seat next year. I think that if he loses either one of these last two games, whether it's to Missouri or to Florida State, especially Florida State, I think he's gone. I think that that would be the last I, – I, I don't think that he gets the grace of the insulation – because of how the season ended last year, because of how the season's gone this year, and because for their sake, they're always going to get compared to Georgia because that's their in division, like that's their rival, but it's also in their division. So they're going to be looking at that and saying, if Georgia wins a national championship this year, how far away are we from them? You know, um, I, I think that that has to go has to go into it, um, but yeah, if Florida State beats them, 
Florida State so, has like, it, like that. That's nail in the coffin because Florida State is still the butt of Florida jokes. And if that flips for this year, and it's like this rebuilding Florida State team just beat Dan Mullen in year four at Florida, but year what sixteen as a head coach or whatever it is fifteen, um, that would be pretty, you know, uh, unsavory if you're a Florida fan. One hundred percent. Daniel, any final thoughts on week 11? I love college football. I also love college football. (laughs) Imagine not loving college football. I'm getting kind of sad because I know that there's only two weeks left. But here's the thing, Jacob. Here's the greatest part. College football, in my opinion, there's two weekends that are the best in college football. All right. Labor Day weekend where it's opening up. Everybody's got all the hope. And then rivalry weekend, like Thanksgiving day, like through, you know, through the weekend, it's just beautiful. You've got Thursday games, you've got Friday games. I hope that, you know, you and your loved ones are off or you're not working and you're able to just spend time, watch Christmas vacation, watch these games, you know, leftovers. Yeah. Yeah. Be at the house watching games with the ones you love. And I mean, like every game that you turn on is going to be a good one because that team is playing the team that they most likely hate the most or have to beat the most, you know? So uh, it's just great. Um, I'm, I myself am going to be in a great place. I'm being Gatlinburg, Tennessee on vacation, but I will definitely have a TV maybe to watching all of those games. So it's just, it's great. It's a great way to end the season, but, you know, obviously championship weekends after that and then bowl games, but uh, regular season, the end is in sight. We love college football. You can follow him on Twitter at Deep South Daniel. You can follow me on Twitter at Jacob Carnes with a K, and that will do it for this edition of The Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. See you.